0: Today we're continuing our message series entitled Jesus Offers Hope. Jesus offers hope for the hopeless. In fact, in a certain sense, if you're not hopeless, you're not going to come to Jesus because if you can handle life on your own, then you're not going to be interested in him. But nobody really can handle life on their own. That's really an illusion. But Jesus offers hope for everyone. He offers hope for those who think they're too far from God to ever come back. He offers hope for those who think their sin is too great. No one is too far gone that Jesus can't save them and set them free. And that's what we're going to talk about today in a message entitled Set Free. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. This is one of the most dramatic stories in all of Jesus' ministry. It's a story in which he sets a man free of, of thousands of demons. And we're going to learn how Jesus can set a person free from sin and Satan today. Sometimes we see a person enslaved in sin, addicted to things as as our enemy. And yet our true enemy is the evil one. It's, it's Satan and his host of unseen evil spirits. Ephesians 6:12, and you can follow along in the bulletin. It says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. And so as believers. If you're a believer here today. You are in spiritual warfare. Uh, You you can't say. You know I'm a. What do you call a pacifist or something. Uh, You are in it. You have a target on your back. Satan is gunning for you. You are involved in spiritual warfare. Now I don't want to. Scare anybody this morning. But it's just a reality. And so we need to remember, according to this verse, that our warfare is not directly with other people. It's not with flesh and blood. Even though it may be that people are attacking us in various ways, with their words, with their actions in other ways. Our warfare, really, our wrestling is against spiritual forces, evil spiritual beings that reside in darkness and they fight against the kingdom of light. That is what we wrestle against. Not physically, but spiritually, in prayer. And so today we're going to learn how we can be more effective in spiritual warfare. Now this week, many are going to celebrate Halloween. And my understanding is that Halloween's origins come from uh, the Catholic All Hallows' Eve. It was a time where uh, people were remembering the dead, especially saints. I guess they used to be called Hallows. So it was All Hallows' Eve, the ones that have died. But over time... Our culture really has taken Halloween as oftentimes an opportunity to celebrate the demonic, the dead, evil, you know, horror. All the horror movies come out, right, on Halloween. And it's uh, something that <clears throat> that has a dark side, let me put it that way. Now, many today, despite all of that, no longer really truly believe in demons or evil spirits. But the Bible does, frankly, talk about angels. It does, frankly, talk about demons. And it says and tells us that they are real spiritual beings. And so the essence of spiritual reality hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Technology has changed. Our culture has changed. But spiritual reality has not changed. And so the forces of evil are very real. But it's not something that we should be afraid of because Jesus has given us the victory. He has complete power over them, and that's what we're going to see today. Now, rather than celebrating Halloween and getting uh, too involved with some of the more uh, dark aspects of it, this evening we're going to be celebrating our fall festival. And the theme of the festival is God lights our way. And the theme verse is, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And I think it's very appropriate that God, light is going to shine tonight to many children, many of whom may not ever darken the doors of a church. And so God is going to shine his light tonight. The juggler, I've talked to him, we're good friends, and his presentation is going to contain a powerful gospel message. Uh, for the children and for everyone that comes tonight. And so the light of Jesus dispels darkness. It shines and dispels the darkness, and so we have nothing to fear. God is our stronghold. He's our protection. So let's look at this passage in Mark chapter 5. The first thing we need to understand is the reality of evil. Now our story begins by Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee and he visiting a Gentile country of the Gerasenes. We'll take up the story in verse 2. It says, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And so just as Jesus steps out of the boat onto dry land, he becomes engaged in a confrontation with a man who has some serious issues. God's word here tells us that the man has an unclean spirit or a demon. There are the same things. Uh, The language is used interchangeably in the New Testament. Later in the passage, it will refer to this man as being demon-possessed. Now, the word in the Greek for demon-possessed is daimonizomatai, and it literally translates demonized. And so this man was demonized. He was under the influence of demonic powers. And so he lived outside the realm of civilized society. He lived in the tombs. In those days, these were caves where people came and buried their dead. And so he lived in these caves where Uh, the bodies of dead people had been interred. And so demons have an attachment, have a fascination with death and tombs. It says uh, in verse 3, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And so this man had... I read this as superhuman strength. Where did it come from? Well, from the demons that resided within him. People tried to restrain him. He broke even metal shackles and chains. He was so strong. And so no normal person had the strength to control him or to subdue him. Now, actually, in the Greek, the word for subdue is normally used for taming an animal. That's the only way it's normally used. It was like nobody could tame him. He was... He was like a wild animal, living outside of society, not living like a human being. Verse 5 says, night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You know, today, people talk about people cutting themselves, right? Uh, well, it's way back there. It's, it was demonic back then. It's demonic today. The man was in torment from these demonic invaders in his life. Luke tells us the same story and says the man was running around naked. He had no clothes. He was living like an animal, screaming in agony, cutting himself with stones. And this, the Bible tells us, was not a mental disorder, although it obviously impacted his mind. But the root cause was not a psychiatric problem, was a extreme case of demons afflicting and demonizing a person. As we said before. Just as there are angels today. The Bible clearly tells us. That there are demons today. Just as in the days of the Bible. Spiritual realities are the same. And we need to understand. The reality of evil. Now where do demons come from? Well all beings are created by God. Only God is uncreated. So anything that exists. Living or inanimate was Created by God, and that sometime in the past, God created angels of various ranks and powers. I'm just going to give you a synopsis today. We don't have time to look in all the scriptures. But Satan was a high ranking angel in heaven, and he rebelled against God. He was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels that joined him in his rebellion. And those fallen angels now serve Satan. They're part of his kingdom as unclean spirits, demons, whatever terminology you want to use. They're his spiritual army, and they are in conflict with the kingdom of God and his angels and his church. Satan and his demons, they, they hate God, and so they hate man because we have been created in God's image. They seek to keep people from a relationship with God. They seek to mar and destroy the image of God in people. And so in effect, demons tend to want to make people act like animals rather than to act as people created in God's image. And if you think about it, we see that today. Uh, That's what sin does. And so in our story, we see a man created in God's image living like an animal because of these demons that have control of him. The ultimate goal of demons is to to kill people before they commit their lives to Jesus Christ so they can join them and Satan in their their kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And so demons encourage, they tempt all forms of self-harm. In this case, it's cutting with stones. We don't know what caused this man to be demonized. We could speculate, uh, but we're not going to. Uh, In his present state, he was helpless to deliver himself. Uh, He needed help to be set free from this evil that had taken control of him. And so once we begin to understand the reality of evil and demons in our world today, we need to get ready for spiritual warfare. So let's just think about the scene. What has happened? Here, Jesus has rowed across the lake, or maybe his disciples rowed. I don't know, but they came across the lake, and they stepped out of the boat, onto shore, and immediately what appears to be a, a naked madman runs toward them, probably with a blood streaked body because he was cutting himself with stones and undoubtedly screaming. I mean, it's right out of a horror movie. And I, I bet the disciples are like getting back in the boat and rowing away. Or It doesn't say that. I'm just... But just as he gets to Jesus, and you would think he was probably coming to attack Jesus, just as he gets there, He falls down at Jesus' feet. And I don't believe it was in worship. It was because he couldn't attack Jesus. And verse 7 says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, we're going to see as the story develops, this is not the man speaking, but the demons have taken control of his voice and they are speaking through him. The, ne- the demons know who Jesus is and they seek to gain power over him by addressing him by his name. They understand Jesus' power and they were undoubtedly unable to attack him as they would have liked because of the power of Jesus Christ. Now, why did they request Jesus not to torment them? Well, The next verse holds the answer. It says, for he, that is Jesus, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus had been addressing the demon or unclean spirit in the man, commanding it to come out. It had not yet come out. And Jesus' efforts to deliver this man were tormenting the demons. They wanted to stay inside of the man. And finally, Jesus asked asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion for we are many. And so the man was demonized not just by one, but by many demons who apparently went by the common name legion, or somehow that describes them. Now, the Ro- in the Roman army, a legion consisted of 6,000 foot soldiers. So We don't know if it, that means there were exactly 6,000 demons, but it was a lot, and we're going to see that undoubtedly it numbered in the thousands as the story goes on. And so we're seeing Jesus in spiritual warfare with a legion of demons, and he's in warfare through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other teaching, Jesus says he casts out demons by the finger of the Spirit, by the finger of God. Now, how does spiritual warfare affect our lives today? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that Satan and his demons are behind temptations in our lives. We are to pray in the Lord's Prayer, what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from Satan's attacks. Deliver us from the one who is behind the temptations that come into our lives. And when somebody gives into temptation, when somebody gives into sin, they give Satan and his demons a foothold in their life. And of course, the Bible tells us when we become aware of sin in our lives, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to repent. And Jesus forgives us and cleanses us. But if we don't repent. The devil has a foothold in our lives. And if we keep on sinning. And we become to habitually sin in an area. We give the enemy more and more control of our lives. And that really is the essence of where addictions come from. Now Jesus taught there are degrees of demonic oppression. There are degrees of demonic control of people's lives. In the case of this man. He had. A legion of demons, it appears that he had completely lost control of himself. The demons were in complete control. He needed deliverance. We learn in other teaching of Jesus that uh, he talks of people having one demon, some people having seven demons and things like that. So there are degrees, degrees of demonic oppression in, in people's lives. I believe that habitual sin has a demonic component. It destroys lives. And we see this in sexual addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and many others. But Jesus can and does set people free through prayer, through obedience, the support of other believers. Being set free is not just a matter of trying harder. We, We need to rely on the power of Jesus. And so as Jesus is commanding the demons to come out of this man, and apparently it wasn't instantaneous. The demons are begging him. Not to send them to another country. Rather, tells us in verse 11 now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, That's the demons, begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. In other teachings of Jesus, Jesus taught that demons do not like to be out of a body, they prefer to possess people or second best. Uh, is animals. And so I guess that means it is possible to have a demon-possessed pet. Okay, Just in case any of you are wondering. Uh, <clears throat> but the demon's objective, or at least a demon-possessed pet pig, right? So As we're going to see. <clears throat> but the demon's objective in animals is the same as in people. They seek to steal, they seek to kill, they seek to destroy. Verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. The demon's permission to go into the pigs. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now people wonder, why did Jesus give permission to the demons to enter the pigs? And I believe the answer is that Jesus knew what was going to happen. Uh, I guess the demons just wanted to wander around in this herd of pigs causing mayhem in the countryside. Uh, But once the demons entered the pigs, at least 2,000 demons, or maybe there was three per pig, I don't know. Uh, There were lots of them. The pigs were in torment. The pigs went crazy, and they ran off a cliff and plunged into the sea. And uh, the pigs died, and demons don't die, you see, they're spirit beings. And so the demons then were left wandering around uh, looking for another target or body to inhabit and so in this entire episode we see the absolute power of Jesus the demons fall at his feet as the madman comes to attack Jesus they obey Jesus command to leave the man and so as believers we don't need to fear Satan or his demons they can cause destruction Uh, they can cause death they can cause sickness but Jesus protects us as we follow him and we see throughout the Gospels Jesus setting people free. I mean, you can't read hardly more than a few chapters in the Gospels without seeing Jesus casting demons out of people. As we read through the book of Acts, we see the church continuing to set people free from demons. And we can do the same today. Now, as we said, there are many levels of demonization. I've never, praise God, encountered somebody like this man That was inhabited with a legion of demons. But there are many different levels. And God can lead us in dealing with each individual case uh, through prayer and faith. Now one of the gifts of the Spirit is discerning of spirits or distinguishing between spirits. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. It gives the believer the ability to discern or distinguish what is going on spiritually in a person's life. What type of spirit might be involved. And we need that gift in order to deal with certain things. Now, a few people err on the side of seeing demons everywhere. You know, there's a demon behind every bush. So is this uh, statement. But it's my observation today that most people aren't like that. They don't even think demons are real. They, uh, in fact, I think surveys show most people don't think Satan is real, it's just a, a symbol of evil. But the Bible teaches he's very real. Uh, he's a person, uh, you know, that has a will and uh, does things just as demons are, uh, are types of spirit persons. But the biblical view is that demons are at work today seeking and causing people's lives to be destroyed, and God wants us to do the work of Jesus to help set people free. Jesus did a lot of teaching on demons. One such teaching in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus taught that when a a person is set free from a demon, it, it leaves an empty space in their life, kind of a vacuum. And if that space is not filled, if that space is not protected by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that this demon that left will get some of his friends and will return to the place it left. He talks about getting seven other demons. One leaves and gets seven more. To me, that's eight. And they all come back in. And Jesus says the state of the man at the end, if that happens, is going to be worse. Eight times worse than he was before. And so the best and only protection against demonic oppression is to be filled with the Spirit and walk close to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus can set anyone free. And so the report that, this, that this, um, the demons had left the man and the man was now healed went around the neighborhood and people came to see what happened. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So as they came, they saw that a profound change had happened to this man. Undoubtedly, he was the talk of the town. I'm sure people told their kids, don't go out to the cemetery. You're taking your life in your hands. There's a madman out there, and, and you better watch out. Everybody knew he was out there. And here this man was, calmly sitting at Jesus' feet, undoubtedly listening to Jesus' teaching, teaching him some things. No longer was he naked. He was clothed. It says he was in his right mind. His mind was functioning normally now. He was in control of his faculties. But why were the townspeople afraid? Because they were afraid. I don't know exactly, but they had seen the results of a great power. That Jesus had great power. Power over these evil spirits. Greater than anything they'd ever seen. They didn't know what he would do next. And also... They were afraid because some of them were pig owners. 2,000 pigs, even today, I don't know how much a pig is worth. Anybody know? It's a lot of money, right? That's not just a little bit of change. 2,000 pigs, somebody lost a lot of money when those pigs went into the sea and, and drowned. And so they were afraid of what Jesus might do next. And so... They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They really didn't care that much about what Jesus had done for this poor man. They were concerned about themselves and their pocketbooks. And they just wanted Jesus to go away. Well, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so as Jesus was preparing to leave, this man who had been delivered begged Jesus, I want to go with you. I mean, you've changed my life. You've saved me. I I want to be with you. But Jesus said no. He told the healed man to go to his friends and be a witness of what the Lord had done in his life. Now, I wonder who his friends were. I mean, maybe not recent friends. Maybe something from before. Maybe the man had not been like this his whole life. Probably not. Something tragic had happened. Or perhaps a tragic fall into sin. Something, now I'm speculating again. But something had happened, and he was to go to his friends. Undoubtedly, he had family, right? He had to have a mother and father, and perhaps he had siblings. And he was definitely the black sheep of the family, as they say. But he was to tell everybody how much God had done for him. He was to be a witness for what God had done. Now, this man didn't know very much about Jesus. He'd only encountered Jesus for a short period of time, maybe a few hours. But he did know that his life had been changed, that Jesus had delivered him from a life of torment and he obeyed. Verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which was that region of cities around there. There was 10 cities in that region. How much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And so his words had an impact on this Gentile region. Everyone was amazed at the transformation that had happened in his life. Uh, He had a dramatic story to tell. And his story impacts us today. If Jesus can set somebody like that free, somebody we would lock up in an insane asylum, he can set anybody free. So no one is beyond hope. And that's true for each one of us. It's true for everyone we may know of. And so never give up on somebody. Even if they seem resistant to the gospel, Jesus can set them free. We need faith, we need prayer, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to set people free. And for some people, as in this man's case, that freedom can come in an instant. But it it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, for this man, I believe to maintain his freedom, he had to be telling others his story. He had to be involved in something bigger than himself. He had to be obeying Jesus. He had to be following Jesus, and that's what he did. And as he told people his story, God kept him free. For many people, freedom comes in stages. It begins by accepting Jesus Christ as as your Lord and Savior. And freedom grows as people choose to follow and obey Jesus. Freedom grows as we become accountable to other believers. And we have a a wonderful group, Living Free Group, uh, led by Mike, in the church for people that are dealing with life-controlling problems, where you can get support, prayer, uh, and accountability with other believers. And if you know people who are struggling, and if you know very many people, you've got to know people who are struggling with various life-controlling problems pray for them, that, and invite them to check that group out. And so freedom is maintained by daily diligence in following Jesus through prayer, through his word, and being part of a church family. And we pray that each one of us would walk in freedom ourselves and God would use us to lead others to freedom in a society and culture uh, that is becoming increasingly decadent. And so this morning... Uh, We're going to pray a simple prayer to recommit our lives. I'd like to ask each one of us to bow our heads right now. So let's pray. Father, today we admit that we've sinned, we've, we've done things, we've given the devil footholds in our lives and that sin, we ask that you forgive us. Uh, We want to follow you. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. We believe he rose from the dead. We invite him into our lives. We commit ourselves to following him as our Lord and Savior, to walking with him in freedom. And Father, we thank you for the power of Jesus that can set anyone free. We thank you that who you set free is Free indeed, true freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. And we want to walk in your freedom. God, we pray that you'd show us how to repent and renounce of any sin in our own lives that has given the devil a foothold. And this morning, we take authority over every demonic attack on this church and the families that are represented here. We bind Satan in Jesus' name. And we ask you, God, to deliver us from all evil from every evil attack. We thank you for the protection, and we thank you for the freedom that comes as we follow Jesus. We pray for the fall festival this evening, God. We, we pray that many of those who are invited would come and their lives would be touched by the power of the gospel presentation. We ask that you'd help us as we prepare and get everything ready. Uh, we pray that everyone who's volunteered would be able to help and we thank you for this opportunity to minister to people, many who are outside uh, the walls of any church, God, who don't know about you. We ask that you guide many of the people to want to have a desire to learn more about you and to become part of our church family here. God, help us as we reach out to others around us who are in bondage of, in different ways. Help us not to give up on people. Help us to think that this, not to think that this person cannot possibly be helped, but help us to have the faith to believe that you can change anyone's life and you can use us. Give us discernment in how we can help others find freedom in Jesus Christ. We pray for the missionaries, God, Assembly of God missionaries in China that are working in difficult circumstances to present the gospel and to raise up churches in a a country that's becoming increasingly repressive to Christianity, God. We pray that you protect them, uh, and we pray that many people's hearts would turn to you. We pray the revival in China would continue. And finally, God, we pray for the families uh, of the victims in the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, God. We pray that you comfort those families, God. We pray that they would turn to you uh, for their help, for their hope, In their time of need. We pray for peace God in our land. Uh, In Jesus name we pray. Amen.